You guys can have a seat. Welcome this morning. So glad um, to see each and every one of you. I want to say just a special welcome to anybody uh, who joined us last week for the first time. Maybe you're invited, but you, you joined us for Easter and now you've come back. Um, we're grateful for that second opportunity to get to know you and welcome you in as a part of family here at FCC. If you don't know me, my name's Tim. I'm one of the student pastors here. Um, I consider this an incredible opportunity to be with you guys this morning. Um, like Ray said earlier, we've got um, a, a large portion of our church who's off at a marriage retreat this weekend, and I've already even begun to hear just little snippets of what God's doing there, and I know that there's some awesome stuff. And likewise, I think God's got some awesome stuff for us this morning. So, um, so for, for let, I, I want to just throw something out there really quickly. I mean, one of, the, one of the, the biggest parts of this Sunday morning gathering that we have is, is an opportunity um, to really engage in God's Word together. And, and how cool is it that God has given us the Bible to, to really to be able to dig into and be transformed by? And so some of you may not know this, but when you walk in every single Sunday, there's two stations full of Bible. So if you don't have your own Bible or you can't find your Bible, um, then you can grab one as you come in. I would highly encourage you guys, man, to, to begin to bring a Bible with you. Um, or grab one at the back so that you can engage with it as we read together. Um, but for any of the tech-savvy people in the room, uh, many of you have smartphones that live in your pockets. You can also engage um, with God's Word with this as well, which is pretty cool. There's this brand, or it's a free app. Um, it's called Uversion Bible App. You can jump on there. Many of you already have it. And if you click the Options tab, you'll find a a tab that says events. If you click events, you'll see Friendswood Community Church on there. And it's got the scriptures that we go through each week and some, some slides and things like that for you to follow along. Uh, do we have any teenagers? In the, raise your hand if you're a teenager in the room. Okay, so those of you who are less technology savvy, just if you're interested in using it that way, just find somebody that raised their hand and they'll, they'll teach you how to do it. They're on their phones all the time. They'll help you out with all of that, okay? Um, but we really just, we just want to be about God's word here. You, you won't be able to put much confidence in the stuff that I have to say, um, but God's word, we can put all, all of our confidence in, and, and it truly can transform us. Um, so today, uh, we are in the finale of our Where is God Today series. Some of you guys have been journeying with us for quite some time, from beginning to end, been walking through the book of John. And today is the final message in that series, and so lots of excitement about that. Um, God has done so much through this series um, and there's been two passages, just to, to refresh everybody, that we've really kind of uh, used as the cornerstone of this series. The uh, first one is Colossians 1.15, right? That Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That when we look at Jesus, he's the full picture of who God is. So we can open up God's word and we can, we can seek after who Jesus is. And that's going to tell us about who God is. Um, and then Hebrews 13.8 says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of these just really unique um, pieces about who God is that, that we can't relate to is that he stays the same always. He, he precedes time um, and lasts longer than time. And so um, on those two things, right, we've sought after in the book of John to really find out who Jesus is and, and how that impacts our lives. And really, up to last week, right, everything came to its climax, to the culmination of, of what Jesus' life and ministry is all about. Right? Jesus himself fully God, fully man, um, bore the weight of sin on the cross, was crucified, put in a grave for three days, and uh, conquered sin and death, walked out of that grave. And that's where we pick up in the story today, is exactly that. So we're going to be in John chapter 21. So if you want to go ahead and flip over to John chapter 21, let me just, let me just set that up for you a little bit, though. Here's, here's what's going on, right? Jesus, after he has resurrected, after he's conquered sin and death, um, there's a, kind of like this 40 or 50 day span 
that Jesus is on the earth. And over that span of time, right, like the, the, the resurrection from the dead is, like, is almost God's like stamp on this radical claim that Jesus is making the whole time that he's been on earth, right? That, that I'm not just a man, I'm actually fully God, right? And when he, when he walks out of the grave, he kind of puts that final stamp on there. And as if that's not enough, he kind of starts um, vanishing and, and reappearing and revealing himself to uh, several groups of people, including some of the disciples. And three separate occasions, Jesus, after the resurrection, um, reveals himself to the disciples. And he has these really unique interactions with them that, are, that we're going to spend some time talking about. And, and today is going to be that third interaction. And it's really nearing the very last moments that Jesus has on the earth, time spent with the disciples. So chapter 1, uh, 21 starts off like this. The disciples um, have seen Jesus reveal himself a couple times already, but he's not with them anymore. They're kind of twiddling their thumbs, and they say, okay, well, Peter throws out the idea, well, let's go fishing. So they jump in a boat, they go fishing, um, and they catch nothing. They fish all night long, they catch nothing. If you're a fisherman in the room, you know how frustrating that is, right? All that hard work and patience with no results. I'm not a very good uh, fisher because I'm not very patient. I don't don't have that. Um, And so they fish all night long. No, nothing to show for it. And then as the morning is, is beginning, there's some guy standing off in the distance, standing at, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee that shouts out to them, you know, hey, have you caught anything? They say, no. They say, okay, well, just throw your net on the other side, and that's where you'll find the fish. And like any true fisherman, I'm sure they were frustrated by that, because first of all, everybody knows you don't yell when you're fishing, right? You can scare the fish away. But they're yelling, and what happens? They catch more fish than they know what to do with. They catch more fish than they know what to do with, and it instantly in that moment, right, because this, this, this scenario is beginning to be a little familiar for them, right, instantly in that moment they realize, wait, that's not just some guy off in the distance. That's Jesus. That's the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ himself calling out to us. So they do everything that they can to get to shore because, again, they don't know how much time they have left with him. They don't know if he's going to disappear or what, and they want to take advantage of these last moments. They get to the shore, and Jesus invites them to sit and eat breakfast. He invites them to sit and eat breakfast. Um, man, what would it be like, right, to be a fly? There's not any walls out there, but to be a fly in the air on that conversation, right? Right? Post-resurrection, their worlds have just been flipped upside down. For three years, right, they've walked with Jesus. And now, right, they've got just another opportunity that they know it likely won't last long. And they get to sit and eat breakfast with Jesus. I mean, how cool is that? Right? What would that conversation be like? I, I, some, some of you maybe can relate with me. Like, sometimes I think automatically, I instantly think back to, like, anytime the holidays roll around or anytime I get to go be with my family or go back home or see friends that I haven't seen in a long time. Right? Those conversations are so sweet, aren't they? Right? There's a lot of reminiscing that goes on in those conversations. Like, hey, remember when this happened or when this? And lots of laughter. Um, I'm sure there was a ton of that going on in that conversation. Again, to be, as, as Jesus passes them, one more piece of fish. And they look down and they see his nail-scarred hands, right? And they begin to think about the three years of life that they've had together, all culminating up to this point, that Jesus has literally given everything for them. Right? That would have been a sweet, sweet time. But as I was reading that and I was thinking about that, I'll be honest, I had kind of a, a silly question in mind as I was reading this. It's kind of plagued me a little bit as I studied this. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's like, okay, Jesus, like, why are you still here? Like, why are you still here? Like, you, you could be, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Like, you've put your stamp, you've put your stamp on it. Like, like you're God. We see it. Nobody walks out of the grave. 
Nobody but you. It's like, what are you still doing here? So I'm kind of like pondering this and I'm thinking, okay, like this, the interaction that's about to take place must be important because Jesus literally in that moment could be as far away from earth as possible in the brokenness of this world, sitting at the right hand of the Father where he longs to be. But yet he's here revealing himself to the disciples for one last interaction, one last interaction. So let's, let's, take, let's take a look at that interaction. And we're going to pick up reading um, in verse 15. So if you want to follow along with me there, you can get to John chapter 21, verse 15. So, so the, the disciples are eating breakfast, and, and Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And he wants to have a, an intimate conversation with Peter. And this is what follows. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to let him know about what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Right, this is a, a really intimate conversation going down between uh, Peter and Jesus. Because this whole fishing interaction was not just a coincidence, right? It wasn't actually that long ago, right? The, the reason why the scenario in a lot of our heads right now sounds really familiar is because this exact same miracle took place the day that Jesus called Peter and several other disciples to follow him. They're out fishing. They're fishers. That's what they do. That's how they live. That's how they survive. And he calls them, says, cast your nets on the other side because they've been out fishing all day and can't catch anything. And Jesus, in that moment, reveals himself as God to them and says, follow me. It's, it's actually an account in Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, this is the day that he called them, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid, for now you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Right? They've already had this encounter with Jesus, where Jesus has, has given them the same call that he finishes this conversation with, to say, guys, leave everything and follow me. And the thing that I find interesting about that is because as much as excitement and as much reminiscing that's probably going on in the conversations at breakfast that Jesus is, is sharing with Peter and his friends, I can't help but think that for Peter, he can't quite get out of his head, out of his mind, the thoughts of the night that Jesus was taken away and how three times he was questioned. Wait, wait, you're, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And Peter responds, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. That's not me. And three times... In Jesus' deepest moment of need of a friend, Peter turns his back. 
I can't help but think that, that as much of the reminiscing that's going on, he can't help but get those thoughts out of his head of, man, I really messed up this time. I really messed up. And the guilt and maybe even some of the shame that's going on just right here in his heart is, is, is a little bit overwhelming. And so I think it's really interesting that Jesus would end his conversation with Peter by saying, follow me. The, the very words that he began his relationship with Peter using, follow me. And, and here's what I want us to get at today that I think is so important, right, is, is that, that Jesus is restoring Peter. Jesus is restoring Peter. Back to what he in, intended for Peter from the beginning of their relationship. Um, we can probably all relate at some level to needing to be restored, but for me, um, it, I feel like I can relate to Peter in, in a certain way, so I just want to share with you guys a little bit of my life story. So um, I had a great upbringing as a kid, I and mean, I've got two parents who love Jesus and who raised me and my brothers just well and, and gave us everything we need. Um, and we grew up in the church. I mean, if there was a church activity, you, you would see me there. Loved it. Kids choir, Awanas, festivals, all that good stuff. It was just the norm for me to be at church and, and grew up in that environment, and it, it really benefited me a lot. But eventually I became a teenager, and um, at some point, because my, my parents were genuine followers of Jesus, like I really, I could, I could see the difference between somebody who just goes to church and somebody who follows Jesus. And even at a young age, even as, as a teenager, and this wasn't coming from me, but from God, like there, there began to be this slow change and more of a desire to want to follow Jesus than just to go to church. And um, so being the active participant that I was as a teenager, I was really involved in the youth group. And every summer, it was normal, like cancel everything, all-star baseball, it doesn't matter, cancel it all. Like I'm at youth camp. Youth camp's the place to be. And so this particular summer is the summer uh, between my eighth and ninth grade year. So I'm getting ready to jump into high school. And I have this um, encounter with Jesus that I will never forget. I mean, it's as fresh to me today as it was X amount of years ago that it wasn't the first time I'd ever had an encounter with Jesus, but it, it was really the first time that I actually encountered Jesus. I didn't like quickly just kind of sweep it away or kind of move it to the back and say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do that stuff later. Um, and we're just standing in the middle of worship, a lot like what we do on Sunday mornings here, right? And, and I'm flooded with these thoughts. I mean, literally these thoughts that, that God, I want nothing more right now than to be cemented into this moment so that I can worship you for the rest of my life. And as an eighth grade going on ninth grade, like that wasn't a thought that I had often. That might be surprising. Uh, I, I didn't have that thought of like, God, I, I'm just, just, just give me you. Like that's all I need, just you. But in that moment, I had that thought and just this flood of really emotions and everything just pointed towards God to say, God, like, you're all that I need. I literally would like to just be like cemented into this moment for the rest of my life. And, and as I was experiencing that, I heard a whisper from God, not in, not in a real audible voice, but as clear as day. God began to tell me that, that he had chosen for me to, to enter into vocational ministry, to be a pastor of some sort, as an eighth grader going to ninth grade. And so I, there's, there's some conflicting thoughts in there, because literally in that moment, I'm thinking, I want nothing more to do than to stay in this moment the rest of my life. And at the exact same time, I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> like, wait, wait a second, like, that's not cool. Like, if my friends hear that God told me he wanted me to be a pastor, oh, no. That's the end of my social life, right? And so I'm having these conflicting thoughts all at the same time. of like, God, I, you get all of me. And then at the same time, like, wait, 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 no, you, know, you couldn't possibly be calling me to that. I can't be a pastor. You can't use me in that way. 
I'm the goofiest of ninth grade guys in the world. Like there's no possible way that you could use me. But clear as day. Um, it scared me so much that I didn't tell anybody. Well, I, I told one person. I told my youth pastor at the time, super influential guy in my life. Um, I didn't even tell my parents. They had to hear through the grapevine from my youth pastor. Because I was so scared of it. Because I instantly began to tell myself, like, it can't be me. It can't possibly be me, God, that you're calling to do this. And so I dismissed it. And for the entirety of high school, for four years, I ran away from the call that God had, like, clearly put on my life. I mean, I'd made plans to go to certain schools, to, certain, to study certain things, to go in this professional field and all this good stuff, and it had nothing to do with what God was really calling me to. And I relate to Peter in this because isn't it so easy for all of us, right, that we experience things or we may mess up like Peter did, and we automatically, we begin to tell ourselves we are disqualified from being used by God. We are completely disqualified. God can't use me. He can't use us. Look, there are some of you, hear me say this, there are some of you here who have told yourself that because your marriage has fallen apart or is falling apart, that you cannot be used by God. There are some of you here who, because of the choices you made last year, last night, doesn't matter, some of the poor choices that you've made, you've told yourself and convinced yourself that you cannot be used by God. And the encouragement that I find as we read this interaction that Peter has with Jesus is that he is about restoring Peter. To say, I know you're not perfect. I know you denied me three times. And you know what? Jesus felt the hurt that came from that. But he intentionally chose to restore Peter, right? right. The work of Jesus on the cross is about restoration, the work of Jesus on the cross is about restoration. God never intended for us to have this huge divide between us and him. He intended this perfect relationship that we would get to walk with him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And he's been about unfolding that plan of restoration for all of time. And Jesus' work on the cross is all about restoration. And you, know, you want to know what the key to restoration is? Forgiveness. The key to restoration is forgiveness. Because for Peter... The thing that's keeping him from following Jesus in this moment is the thoughts of, I've already messed up. I can't be used by God. And for God to look Peter in the eyes and say, follow me. And for, for Jesus to say, to, to look back to just a few days before of what's taking place on the cross, he's saying to Peter, man, you've been restored. The work of the cross is about restoration because the key to restoration is forgiveness. Like Jesus has forgiven all of Peter's sins. He's forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future. Right? There's this Psalm uh, 103, verse 12. It says this very simply, right? He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, just think about that for a second. As far as the east is from the west. I mean, that, that means they're gone. Here, actually, I'll give you a little bit of homework. Uh, this week, read the entirety of Psalms 103 because it is just riddled with this theme of forgiveness, which is, is incredible to see the psalmist write about because Jesus has yet to come to the cross and display forgiveness on the cross. Like This is in God's DNA to restore through forgiveness. It's in his DNA to forgive. 
And he offers that same restoration to us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what Satan's trying to convince you of to keep you from following Jesus, Jesus' restoration sets us free and allows us to follow him. There's a a beautiful, beautiful example of this in the Old Testament as well. Um, If you're a teenager in the room, you may have traveled with us. Student ministry, we spent a decent amount of time uh, studying the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. God makes this grand promise that he's going to bless the world through Abraham's lineage. And this this is Abraham's lineage. And so Jacob, this really important character in the Old Testament, actually has a pretty unfortunate uh, beginning to the story as we pick up in the Bible. At at 17 years of age, he is sold into slavery by his brothers. At 17 years old, sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, And and, and actually, it starts to get a little better. Like things turn um, in a good direction for him. God kind of blesses his efforts as a slave. He actually earns some authority in the home that he's a slave in, but then he gets wrongly accused of something. And um, it actually gets him thrown in prison uh, for something he didn't commit. And there's a few occurrences that seem like, man, maybe I'm going to be able to get out of here. And then people forget about him. And he stays in jail longer for years and years. And ultimately, he finally gets his opportunity. And he does exactly what God has equipped him to do. He he interprets a dream for Pharaoh. And sure enough, many, many years down the road, there's this interaction with Joseph and his brothers. The very brothers who sold him into slavery. Right? Some of you can feel it now. Like you, you know the pain and the hurt that you felt that others have inflicted on you. So, so you might be able to relate with Joseph in a, in a unique way of, of there's some, some genuine hurt. Like I don't know if you've ever been sold into slavery by your brothers, but that would be painful in many ways. Right? And, and when we get hurt, it's natural, like for all of us, it's, 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 it's really natural for us to resent people for that. To resent whoever is, has, has hurt us. And, and that resentment leads directly to retaliation. Like we want to inflict that same amount of pain that others have inflicted on us, right? Because that's, that's just, that's justice. We want to inflict that, right? So resentment leads to retaliation and, and more hurt gets inflicted. But the unique thing about what happens with Joseph is Joseph looks his brothers in the eyes and he says, because you inflicted pain on me, because you hurt me, God used that to send me here for a greater purpose. And for that, I can't be mad at you. For that, I forgive you. And he chooses forgiveness. And through that forgiveness comes restoration between him and his brothers. And it's this beautiful picture, thousands of years before what Jesus is about to do on the cross to restore his relationship with Peter and restore his relationship with us. I mean, how powerful is that? Think about this. Jesus absolutely, in his humanness, being fully God and fully man, absolutely had to wrestle with the same thoughts of resentment and retaliation towards Peter for what Peter did to him. And yet he chose to forgive him. Think about that. He absolutely had to think and process through the the hurt that Peter had inflicted on him, and yet he chose forgiveness. And brings about this wonderful, life-giving restoration. The key to restoration is forgiveness. And the work of the cross embodies that. Right? That, that should, man, I hope that, that begins to warm your heart a little bit. Maybe even put a little bit of a smile on your face this morning. Uh, because each and every one of us find ourselves in the same place Peter does. Wrestling with those same thoughts of, God, God can't use me. He'll find somebody else better who doesn't make those mistakes. That's not what God's about. That's not what his forgiveness does. Right, so verses 15 through 17, 
in this really intimate conversation that Peter's having with Jesus, Jesus asks Peter a question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, of course I do. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, with everything in me, I love you. I'm going to ask you one more time, right? Peter, do you love me? And he gets a little hurt by the fact that Jesus has to ask him three times if he loves him. I mean, why would, why would, why would Jesus ask Peter that question three times? I think, I, I think Jesus is, is trying to, to make a point. I think he's trying to illustrate something. I think he believes Peter. He believes that Peter loves him. He knows Peter's not perfect. He believes that Peter loves him. But what he's trying to say is that, that love for God is what following Jesus is all about. Jesus isn't asking Peter for perfect attendance at the temple. Jesus isn't asking Peter to clean up his act so well that when people look at him, that they cannot find any blemish on him. Right? Jesus is saying, I want you to love me above all. And then out of that love, we enter into this perfect community. Right? We're still in a broken world, but we get to live in this community with Jesus. And Jesus says it's all about love. The greatest commandment, right, in Matthew 22, verses uh, 37 and 38, it says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says, before everything, that's what I'm asking you for. I want your affections to be for me and not anything else. And then out of that, we work everything else out, right? So what does it look like to love God? Jesus gives kind of a small window into that as well. Um, Previous in chapter 14, we spent a little bit of time talking about this. But John 14, verse 15, right? If you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus is saying, if you love me, I'll see it in the way that you choose to follow me. I'll, I'll steal something that Dana said. Quite some time ago, Dana, you may be impressed that I remember this. This was, this was a while ago. It says, obedience is the measure of the depth of our love for Jesus. Hear that. Obedience is the measure of the depth of our love for Jesus. Right? We, you, you should be able to see the proof in the pudding, right? I mean, if I'm saying that I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then that means Jesus gets everything. And I look to him to guide my path, my direction, my steps. Right? If you love me, obey my commands. It sounds really simple. So it's a much harder to live out. But, but that's got to be the belief, right, in the beginning. Like, that's what we have to grab hold of is exactly that. Right? That, that Jesus is, is not just restoring Peter to make him feel better. Jesus is restoring Peter to, to bring him back to what he's already set in motion for him. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He said that years before. And now he says, follow me again, because he's saying, I'm just bringing you back to what I've already spoken to you. And for me as a teenager, four years of running hard away in the wrong direction, four years, and yet God still graciously, lovingly, with much forgiveness, said, I didn't release you from this. Like, this is, this is the plan that I have for you. And this, this plan's better than any other plan you could have. And it graciously allowed me to walk back into that. And man, it's been a roller coaster since then, but it's been, it's been nothing but, but experiencing what God wants for me, not, not what I can manufacture for myself. Right, this, this love for Jesus is not a um, kind of a halfway thing. Like, there's no, 
There's no partial love for Jesus. It's, it's an all or nothing type love. To follow Jesus, when Jesus says, follow me, it's an all or nothing proposition. It's not you can have this section of my life, but I'll keep this one, and then we'll work on this one. We'll go 50-50 on this one, and then kind of hodgepodge together the proportion of how much you want to follow Jesus and how much you love him. I mean, it is a with abandon, all or nothing proposition. And restoration, the restoration that Jesus offers through forgiveness, compels us to say, okay, you get it all. You get it all. As Jesus interacts with the disciples in this intimate moment and with Peter in this intimate moment, I can't help but just kind of put myself in Peter's shoes and think that uh, this restoration process probably actually has to happen um, a lot more than it should, Um, that I, I make bad decisions and I continue to try and do things my own way at times. But I continue to come back to this and think that Jesus intends... And his forgiveness, if it is for past, present, and future, is about restoring me no matter where I'm at today. And for you, no matter where you're at, no matter what situation you're in, no matter how bad you think you've messed up, you are not past the point of restoration. And isn't that the good news of Jesus? Man, if he can save me, there's good news. Paul would say, man, if he can save me, there's good news. Right, that we can all be saved. It's an all or nothing kind of love. So Jesus moves into, literally, the disciples don't know this, but I mean, this is the last interaction that they're going to get to have with Jesus. This is, these, are, these are the actual final moments that he's going to have with them. And the Gospel of Matthew records the conversation that goes down there. After Peter and Jesus have had their one-on-one conversation, after Peter's been restored, the conversation goes like this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus puts the, the, the final exclamation mark on his life and his ministry by saying this, right? The restoration that I'm offering you, Peter, and that I'm offering you, disciples, and I'm offering each and every one of us today, right? Jesus says that that restoration is all too get you to live out what following Jesus looks like. And Matthew 28 describes it, right? To go and to share with those who have yet to taste and see, like we have, the goodness of who God is, who have yet to feel, right, the fruit of restoration, the, 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 the joy of forgiveness of sins. God says, I'm restoring you so that you get to be the one that I choose to use to carry that message. And as the thoughts continue to flood our heads and our hearts, like, that can't be us. We can't do that. That cannot be us. Jesus says at the very end of this, right, he is sure to say, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. With Jesus, with God himself residing in the follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God living in us, 
And what can we not accomplish? What is too big for God to accomplish? Our restoration is so that we may go and share the good news of Jesus with others, right? So where is God today? Well, he's here. And for many of you, right, he he lives inside of you. But he's restoring us despite our mess-ups and sending us out despite our weaknesses. He's restoring us despite our mess-ups and he's sending us out despite despite our weaknesses, like God's restoration is a part of this greatest, the greatest plan in the world to use you and I to change the whole world. And how powerful is that? If I can't help but conclude that if, if, if Jesus can restore Peter, why can't he restore me? If Jesus can restore Peter, why can't he restore you? And Satan would like nothing more than to continue to convince you that you're beyond restoration. But that's just not the case. So I hope that we will consider today whether or not we've ever accepted this free gift of forgiveness on the cross. If you've never fully accepted that Jesus was willing to go on the cross on your behalf to forgive you of your past, present, and future sins, then today, would you consider the reality of that? That when he rose from the dead, he left sin in the grave. And he walked out victorious. And because of that, no matter what our mistakes, we then get to walk with him and not only walk with him, but be sent out by him to go and make an impact for the kingdom. And I know for a lot of you, you're going you're gonna to leave this morning because God's word is capable of this, pumped up, fired up about going and making disciples, and praise God for that. And we're going to have a really unique opportunity here in just a couple weeks to do what we call our REACH workshop. And we're going to talk about Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to talk about the implications for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus that God is calling us to influence the sphere of those who are around us, right? God placed you next to your neighbor for a reason, So that the restoration that's taking place in your heart and in your life would then spill over into theirs and show them a love and a grace and a mercy and a forgiveness that they could have found nowhere else. And the people that you sit next to, that your cubicle is lined up right next to, right, is not just a coincidence. That the people you work with are exactly those who God has said, let them see the restoration that I'm doing in you. Let it spill over on them. Talk to them. Engage with them. Live out in front of them this restoration. And so I'll, I'll encourage all of you and challenge all of you um, to come be a part of that, to come look more at what it looks like to, to go and to share and to make an impact for God's kingdom in that way. So I hope at, at the very end of this series, Where is God Today?, that you would conclude with me that God is here and that he is willing to take up residence in your life. And that no matter how far you feel you've fallen, that you have not fallen too far for God's restoration. Y'all pray with me. God, thank you so much that in this place and in this space, God, you allow us to come as we are, as broken, needy, God, in desperate need of your love and forgiveness 
and restoration. God, thank you that in my life you didn't move on and you didn't give up when I started running. God, I pray that um, as many here begin to contemplate, maybe for the first time, that you care so deeply that you want to restore and that you want to forgive. God, that they would accept that as a free gift. God, and begin to follow you, God. And, and for those of us here who, who are followers of you and who've made that exchange with you, God, um, but who have since um, fallen and since uh, believed the lies of Satan, God, that you would restore us like you restored Peter. Back to the call that you put on our lives. God, one that we couldn't assume ourselves. So God, thank you that you have restored and that you have forgiven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.